Hey, everybody. Welcome to Conversation Piece with Patrick Armstrong. I am the titular Patrick, and this is a show where we talk about the missing pieces of the conversations that we're already having. Shout out to all of our returning listeners and a high five and hello to everybody joining us for the very first time. Thank you so much. My guest today is a diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice consultant, anti-racist advocate, workshop facilitator, and content creator. He is also the founder of Critical Conversations Consulting. I am very honored and it is my privilege to welcome Paul Lapito to the show. Hey, Paul, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me, Patrick. Absolutely. Um, For everybody out there listening uh, and everybody out there watching, Paul and I connected on LinkedIn and I was drawn to his content because he's very unapologetic about what he shares, specifically when it comes to this diversity, equity, inclusion conversation. Um, He is, I feel like I've watched you. I, I talk about you like the second person. I feel like I've watched you, Paul, blow up in like a huge way, specifically on LinkedIn. It's been really, really incredible to watch um, people respond to your content and to watch you develop the language around what it is that you're sharing. So I'm really excited to be able to dive into this. And I really, really appreciate you giving some some of your time to us today. Um, For anybody who is listening who may not know who you are specifically, could you share a little bit more about yourself? Sure. So, um, you know, I have been doing DI work for about 10 plus years. And so um, and so one day I just decided to kind of strike out on my own because I I love DEI, but I'm not a fan of nine to five DEI. That makes sense. And so in, in corporate structures, uh, nonprofit structures, a lot, a lot of DEI is performative and so smoke and mirrors. And so for me, like like you said, I just I'm out there. I'm unapologetic. Uh, I'm raw. And so and I, and I realized that, OK, as a disruptor, as we like to call it, like you kind of butt heads with people in high places. And so I thought like, you know what, if I'm going to be me to myself, I'm just going to strike out on my own and be my own boss. So the rest is history. I absolutely love that. Um, could you share a little bit about how you found yourself saying how, when you first like recognized, okay, corporate DEI is performative or a lot of times it can be performative. So I want to go in this different direction. I, so me, I, I was, I've been on LinkedIn since maybe 2012 on and off. And so um, I didn't comment for long. I didn't post or comment for the longest time. I was steadily looking for jobs or whatnot and connecting with, with old schoolmates and coworkers. And so around the time the pandemic started, I was on there a lot more. And so I was looking for leads for new DI jobs and I followed people. And, uh, and then, and then people started talking about DI. They weren't just talking looking for jobs, but they were talking about the nature of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And after George Floyd's murder, it increased. And so and like mm-hmm. a lot of people, you know, being a pandemic, a lot of DEI jobs were slashed. And then when George Floyd was murdered, they, they boom, they open up again. But a lot of people were saying, wait a minute, these, these companies are opening up, but like they, they don't really want to, they, they don't really want to invest in DEI. You know, they don't mm-hmm. want to tackle system races. They just want somebody to, to shove in an office and say, look, we're diverse, we're progressive, you know? And, and so, and just seeing that unravel, uh, I'm thinking, Wow. And, and so, uh, but I still wanted to do DEI. So I was like, you know what? I'm already on LinkedIn. I'm going to use that platform to talk about issues that I see my colleagues and friends talking about. And so uh, around that time, I started my own consulting gig. And I was like, okay, if I'm starting a business and LinkedIn is about connections, I want to use LinkedIn as a way to funnel people to my business. And so at the beginning of 2022, I started posting, you know, and I just took it from there. That's I love that it's like so you've been on LinkedIn for a while, yeah. but it was really in like I don't even know how to describe. People were calling 2020 like a racial reckoning, but I don't yeah, feel like that's yeah. not necessarily the no. the best way to, to to describe that. But a lot of yeah. folks, myself included, started to 
think differently, have different conversations in 2020. Right. And for you specifically, like you said, you know, really start posting just in the last year. How has that changed over that year time? How has the, how has the conversation that you've had changed or has it changed? Um, I don't know if it's changed, but I feel like I feel better because I'm, I'm doing my part. Because like I don't know how to – the best way to describe it is this. Imagine you have something to say, whether it's to a friend, a significant other, or whatever. you got something on your chest, you know, mm. be a positive or negative, and you don't say it. That really uh, eats at you. And so I, and study after study says that, like, when you bottle stuff up, it, you suffer for it. And so I was like, you know what? I don't know who I'm going to change or the world may change. But I'm not going to go to my deathbed thinking, man – Wishing, man, I should have said something because that's one of the life, uh, that's one of life's top regrets. And so I, I read that years ago, and one of the top regrets was people not being true to themselves or not opening up about something they wanted to open up about. So I'm like, you know what? Strike while the iron's hot. We got something going on. I want to say something. I don't know who's going to affect what kind of enemies I'll make, but you know what? I'm I'm not going to be on my deathbed saying, "Well, I never stood up for anything." Well, yeah, I did. So. I absolutely love that. And I really appreciate you sharing that. And that's, again, one of the things that draws me and keeps me coming back to your work specifically is it is uh, it, all of your conversation falls under the CEI umbrella, but it's not just one thing or another thing. Like you really try and touch on so many different areas within mm -hmm. that, within society, within the conversation itself. And that just leads you to be to, to, talking about so many different things. And especially in this last year, as you've been on LinkedIn, as you've connected with other folks who operate in the same space and shared in these conversations, it's clear that, you know, you're touching on a lot of different things and you're seeing a lot of different things. What is something that you feel like is, is either missing as in the purpose of this particular show, or is just not being talked about enough that we really need to start focusing on a little bit more? Yeah. Um, Let's see, there's so many of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, something that's not touched on enough. I think um, um, a lot of people don't understand the difference between prejudice and racism. And I think that like when people talk about DEI or anti-racism, like, oh, isn't this racist against white people? And it's like, well, you know, I'm not going to lie. There are people that that have hostility towards white people and there's anti-white. I work in an inner city store, to, you know, mm. and so, I hear things that are not kind about white people, but it's like this people don't or can't understand that like um white people can be just can be like there's prejudice against white people, but white people are not oppressed. They're not like mm. they're not marginalized like like black people, like Asian Americans, like sure. people. So like so this idea that now white people are the new oppressed minority, it's a it's a really gross misunderstanding of of our experiences, you know. And so it's like, you know, I mean, I, I don't have the Black people do not have the collective power to treat white people as certain class citizens. We don't have that kind of social or collective or structural power, you know, but yet they're like, oh, now this is racism against white people. I'm like, well, you may not like hearing that, but, you, but you're still like, to the eyes of many people of color, you know, you still have that status, you know, and so despite the prejudice that may be there from some people, it's like, yeah, you know, you look at film, you look at beauty, you look at C-suite leadership, you know, mostly white still and so yeah uh but a lot of people either they can or don't want to understand that and so be 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 it white or people of color you know and so um yeah so it's a hard that's a tough pill to swallow and i've and i've written about that and it did well but you know i got quite a bit of pushback you know and just people don't want to they don't want to hear that you know 
Yeah, I think that's a I think it's a great framework is this un- misunderstanding. I like what you said, this, this gross misunderstanding of prejudice versus racism that white folks feel that they are oppressed. Right. And for folks who might be listening, who especially uh, white folks who might be listening, who don't understand what oppression is. Can you give us just that high level overview definition of what that means when yeah. we are talking about oppression? Yeah. So either undue hardship or, or being treated as a second-class citizen. And I, and, I, and I emphasize treated. Like, a lot of people say, well, aren't we all equal? And yes, we're all created equal. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> saying that. <laughs> what I'm saying is that, you know, like, in terms of, okay, do you make less money? What is your housing situation like? Um, you know, who gets to pass the laws that affect your eye? And so, like, I know in Florida, they, DeSantis is like, oh, he mandated Asian American, teaching Asian American history, which is beautiful. But then the same breath, he's, He's like, oh, you can't teach black history, but that sends a powerful message to both black and Asian communities, you know. And so, but like black people, Asian people, we don't have that kind of collective power here in the US to, to make those laws, to make or sure. break the law. And so, and so it's it's like, you know, if people are passing laws that, that dictates who gets to teach our history and who doesn't, that says a lot, you know. And so um it, it, yeah, the, 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 the not only power to dictate, but also the power, the power to divide and conquer. And I'm glad a lot of uh, LinkedIn creators or call that out like, hey, this is that's not good. If you want to allow one, allow both, you know. So. Right. I I I I appreciate you've said this a couple times. You've talked about our lack of collective power, uh, yeah. particularly from marginalized groups. Yes. And I'm interested in, you know, because I feel like especially on LinkedIn, because it's it leans professional, but you see a lot of people, a lot of creators of color specifically mm-hmm. working together, having these types of conversation, and it feels and then generating these large followings. It feels like we are amassing power in certain spaces, but also but it feels like there's a but there. It feels like it, with the power that we are amassing on 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 a LinkedIn maybe doesn't carry the same weight all the time as the power right. that we are trying to achieve. Can you right. talk a little bit more about what that yeah, the difference so, so, between those two things and how right. we can rectify or use one to achieve the other. Right. So some of the people that I'm either connected to or follow, they have 50, 100, 150,000 followers. And, that, and that's a lot. That's, that, that is some social media clout right there in terms mm-hmm. of the word out. You know, you just got a you got an army behind you. But, you know, in the end, above us, like, so let's say if myself or Elizabeth Liba or Madison Butler, if we piss the, or tick the wrong people off, LinkedIn can kick us off the platform. Sure. And so, so yeah, we have some power, but you know, if enough people complain or report us, or if whoever's in the office at LinkedIn, they can kick us off the platform. I've seen people get kicked off the platform either temporarily or permanently. Like I remember one content creator, she was like, she got gung ho. She was like, "Oh man, LinkedIn, we're gonna, you're not gonna science us. You can't stop us, and we're gonna file a lawsuit." And I'm thinking. Shut up, please. And sure enough, and sure enough, she she was beginning this year. She was gone. I haven't seen her since. And so, so yeah, she had some power. She had a good following, but like she pushed the wrong buttons, and she she's gone. And so, it's interesting because I just had a conversation the other day about how for adoptees specifically, when we are adopted transracially. The, like it's obviously transactional adoption, but then like that transaction doesn't stop. We can have our privilege pulled out from under us at any time. So while our proximity does allow us to have access to that privilege in, where some other folks might not, we still, it still is like really precipitous that that can go away at any time. 
Um, just like, you know, this creator on LinkedIn, you, you can amass a large following, you can create your, you can generate your own power, but at the end of the day, that can still be taken away from you. Um, how do we, so this is going to get into like our inside outside part of, of this conversation. How do we as creators of color, as people from historically marginalized groups continue to amass maybe the social power, whatever it might be, how do we continue to assure that we are partaking in that conversation talking about uh, or at least properly appropriately defining oppression and what that means and then calling out you know this prejudice versus racism conversation how do we internally um within our communities focus on that what do we need to be focused on from our perspective to make sure that we're moving forward and that when we collect power we don't if we if we for whatever reason lose it we're still moving forward is yeah. it, does that make sense? It does. It does. I guess realizing that um, you're not alone. I think like whenever you go through either struggles or you have a, a vision for your life, it's very easy to become tunnel vision and, and like and, and and think that you're alone or want to be alone. But realizing that this is a collective effort. Like I can't do this by mm. myself. I don't want to do this by myself. I have no desire to be Superman, you know. And so like I I, I love like, my LinkedIn community and followers and connections. It's like. We're all in this together, regardless of your privilege or marginalized status. We're all in this together, and whoever's on my side, be it black, white, Asian, gay, straight, trans, whatever, you know. Uh, and, and if I were to die tomorrow or get kicked off the platform, at least I take solace in that, like, I, hey, I was able to get a following. And if I had, to, if I had to go to another platform, I'll do it again. It would suck, and I'd take a lot of work, but you know, eventually rise back to the top, you know. And so, but just realizing that, also, you know, you never know the impact you have on people. Some people would tell mm-hmm. you. And just because people don't tell you doesn't mean you haven't had an impact. Sure. Years ago, a classmate of mine, we were in a grad school together for biology, and she and this class of mine, she was um, absolutely miserable. And I, I didn't know it at the time. And so, but every day I saw her in the hallway of the biology, but I said, "Hey, hey, how you doing?" You know. And so, and I just said same thing. Hey, how you doing every morning? And then one day she she starts. She says, "Hey, you know, I've been really having a rough time in this program, and but the fact that every day you said hello and greeted me, that made me feel so much better." And I never knew just saying hi to her every day made that big of a difference in her life. And so, so if you're talking about racism or sexism or whatever marginalization you experience, whether it's two years or five years or whatever, it's like, don't underestimate the impact you have on other people, whether they're inside of your community or outside of your community. I love that. Uh, and I appreciate you sharing that. Um, I think that, I think when, I think it takes a long time for some of us to learn empathy in the way that we are exuding it and not realizing it like that unconscious empathy um and i feel like that's what that was and that's what that is when you talk about that invisible impact on folks it's that generally if you are leaving that impact you're probably in you're probably interweaving empathy within you know whatever you're saying or the interactions that you're having i think it's really important to think about is that okay if we can reach that empathic point you know, it allows us to be more open to the conversation or when somebody's like, hey, 20 years down the line, all of those times you said hi to me really affected me. Like we can yeah. be like, oh, OK. And like it it, it allows us to accept that compliment and be mm-hmm. like, yes, let's continue to move forward. Um, I want to stay on this beat for just a second because I want to and I want to go back and reference uh, the content creator you said was removed from LinkedIn. So yeah. when we are it's obviously clearly not fair. And that's obviously a systemic issue um, for creators of color to be, or f- to have their platforms taken away. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And like you said, you know, you're seeing this happen and you're like, okay, I wish that you would kind of pull it back because we don't want to lose you from here as well. How do we, do you have any advice about how we go about doing that? How we recognize, okay, maybe we're making, I don't want to say too much noise because I think we have yeah. to make the noise, but like, okay, we maybe need to, to, to take a step back and reevaluate how we are, our, our approach yeah. here. Um, so I, I have a number of posts. So one, when I make posts, 95% of the time I give a lot of thought before I post. So like any, any post I make, I've, I've already thought about, I've ruminated over days, weeks, in some cases, months ahead of time. And so, and so I write something, I edit it over plenty of times. And before I, I publish it, make sure I'm not angry or never mm. moves it because it'll come out into your audience. You may not think it will, but change a few words, they'll come out and will come across more hostile, more somber or whatever, you know? And so uh, another thing is, like, I'm going to say something unpopular. I don't like naming and shaming people. Mm. Um, like, I, I do get in arguments with people, but I don't like, if somebody disagrees with me or somebody says something rude, I'm not going to be like, oh, he, look at Joe Blow. He doesn't believe where systemic racism exists. Let's all make him feel welcome. And I'm like, sure. I don't do that. One, because we don't, well, oftentimes we don't, we don't know all the information of, of what, we don't know all the whole reason why they said that. We don't know all, all the reasons they said that. Because a lot of times I've had arguments with people and, want, and once I get to know them in person, it's different. You know, like sure. stuff I'm missing, you know. But then also retaliation. And so, so in some cases, the person or their friends retaliate. I know another a number of Black women creators have said that white supremacists have shown up at their house. And so. Oh, wow. Yeah, I don't want anybody showing up at my house because I have a wife and a son and another son on the way. And so. Yeah. Um, uh, that, but then also it, it's like, and then sometimes LinkedIn will see that as bullying. If you, if you name and shame people, in some cases they take it down. Sometimes they won't, but some cases they'll take it down depending on what you say and all that stuff. And so, and just like, and even tagging, like some people tag LinkedIn in a post and say, well, LinkedIn, mm. look what this person did. And I'm like, I don't know if I want to drag link, you know, if they say something pure vitriol, I've seen comments that were pure, like MFF slur, slur, yeah. slur, fine. That's one thing, but it's like, I don't like to pull LinkedIn into my fights because I don't want, I just, I just don't want the ex, anything extra that may come of that. So, sure. um, so you just got basically ensure you got to learn how to get some, like, you know, how to, you have to know how to pick your battles. So there has to be some level of discernment there. So every, every battle is not worth fighting. So. Sure. I appreciate two things. The one talking about how even just a, a word change can change the tone, can change the way that your your content is received. And then two, the context is so, so important for when somebody says something that we don't necessarily agree with, we can't react in, out of emotion. We want to react yeah. from a place of knowledge, from a place, right. place of understanding. And then just because we don't agree on that one thing doesn't necessarily mean that person's a bad person. So we shouldn't right. be putting them out in that way. We should at least be going maybe a DM. Maybe it's like, hey, I definitely did not agree with what you just right, said. I want right, to have this right. conversation. Can we talk about this a little bit? Are you open to that conversation? And yeah. that might end up being somebody that you can, again, extend that empathy to. Right. And maybe a, a, somebody that you can work with on something else. And honestly, bring these two sides of the conversation together to have a more nuanced conversation. You know, it's funny you mentioned that because yesterday I had a conversation with a guy that I argued with a while back. So um, I don't know if you remember back last September, um, when Queen Elizabeth died, I made a post about that and it did, it did really well. And so, mm -hmm. and so I got all sorts of responses. I got people that thought that was, it was balanced. Some people thought it was too harsh. Some people thought it was too nice on the queen. This one guy, a man of color, um, uh, starts talking about CRT and, you know, 
you know, why is bad mouthing white people? And it just, I was already feeling defensive because of, of all the trolls that had showed up on the post. And so I kind of went off on him. And so uh, that conversation ended. Fast forward a few months, he, he pops up again. I recognize the name and the face. He pops on on my post and he says something similar to what he said last time. Mm. I'm like, okay, I remember you. I was a little harsh. I'm sorry. I, I, I did not say that right. That just wasn't cool of me. I apologize. I said, hey, you hope the connection That's fine. Maybe we can learn from each other. And he goes, amen. And so he disappears. And so a week after that, I, I decided to just connect. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll connect with this guy. Just whatever, you know. And so, um, and then like, he's like, he, and then once we connect, he starts seeing more of my posts. And then he's like, hey, let's have a conversation. And so yesterday we finally talked. And uh, and then once I talked to him, like I knew this much. But then once I talked to him, I was like, oh, wait a minute. Mm. Okay. And so, but then like, yeah, I'm like, dude, I'm sorry. And you're a good guy. And I mean, he's more conservative than I am. But like, he still gets, he understands what you and I understand. He's just that his language is different because sure. he's conservative and he's religious. And so and I know that with religious communities, some of the language you use, you got to you got to change it. But sure. uh, so and also he he's worked these high level jobs where he's so he's on shoulder to shoulder with these high level 200K execs. And so he's like, yeah, using white supremacy is going to like make them like shudder, you know. And so and so. So, yeah, it was just like once I actually had a conversation with them, it's like. The post was was almost like from another person. It's, it's like it wasn't, mm. that wasn't all of him, you know. And so so what you said, like. Yeah, I mean, just just even yesterday, a conversation I had with a connection of mine. So yeah, well, again, it's like it's like that empathy part of it. It's like okay, let me meet you halfway at least. And yeah. the fact that he reached out and said, "Let's have a conversation," and you were willing to say yes because I know plenty of people, myself included, maybe sometimes it would say no to that. Oh, I was opportunity. nervous. I was I was antsy like the the whole morning before. I'm like, oh gosh, how's this gonna go? And pacing around my house, you know? And so I was like, no, I'm just going to call this guy. We're just going to get it done, you know? <laughs> that, But I mean, that's amazing. And I think that's a model for how, I mean, it, obviously a very small one, one person example, but I think it's a model for how we can approach these conversations a little bit differently than I think is maybe what's, what's high profile right now and how we react to certain things. I've been talking a lot about on the show, reacting from that place of knowledge. Because yeah. I don't want to be caught up in emotion. That's how I used to respond to stuff. That's how I used to post. Like you yeah. said, you know, you'll sit on a post for for months, and yeah. sometimes I'll sit on a post for about ten minutes <laughs> and firing <laughs> that thing out there. And I'm like, wait a second. I'm I, I, like you said, I read in read the post, and I'm like, okay, all of this right here sounds very upset. And the, I'm yeah. seeing that. I know other people are seeing that. So, right. like, how can I do this a little bit differently? And it's like, well, one, I don't necessarily think I know what I'm talking about here. So let me sit down and like learn a little bit more, follow some people who are talking about this thing that I inserted myself into and mm-hmm. see if I can't under, have a better understanding. And that way, when something else happens in the future, I can react from that place of knowledge. And right. so I think that's, you know, something that I see being talked about more and happening more. But I also think because of the specifically the political co- climate that we currently find ourselves in, reactions are what are what captures the attention of people is this reactionary thought. And a lot of times the reactions are happening from folks outside of our community, specifically from white or white passing people. Mm -hmm. And so to, to, to kind of take a pivot and move to folks sitting outside of our community, you actually wrote a post today 
And I want to dive into it because the very first line, I think it's a great thesis. Good white people benefit from racism and white privilege just as much as those who are unkind. And I think <laughs> that's super important. And I think people see that and on its face are like, I'm offended now. Right. But that's not the point. But that like, almost is kind of the point is right. like we're trying to get you to understand that this privilege that you carry extends beyond just the fact that, oh, I talk about anti-racism or, oh, I'm an ally, quote unquote, right. to, to marginalized people. Can you talk a little bit more about how folks outside of marginalized identities and groups, what they need to do to make sure that they are understanding and not or not grossly misunderstanding yeah. what it means to be oppressed? Okay, so I, I like this. I'm a fan of emotional intelligence. I mean, and, and I'm I'm still growing in this area, but it's like, I, I think a lot of the problems stem from lack of emotional intelligence in this area. And so you think mm. of laws banning Black history or, ban, or banning CRT or whatever, you know, it's like, when you, when you hear white privilege or, or white supremacy or CRT, these words that are like trigger words now, buzzwords, Pay attention to your emotions. Like, what what emotions stir up and why? And, and I like to tell people whether you're privileged, or marginalized, you know, knowledgeable or not. Pay attention to your emotions. Ask why you feel those emotions, and ask what you can do to navigate out of that. And so, like, so if you feel dread, so let's say that you're a white a white person that, that's new to this, and you see my first bad post or the first line, and you and you and dread wells up. It's like, okay, you feel dread. That's valid. It's a, it's a God given emotion to sense your world. Why, ask to stop asking, why do I feel dread? Because I'm a firm believer that I'm responsible for what I say, not how you respond. Mm. If, if, if I'm not yelling slurs, if I'm not saying all white people are bad, if I'm not saying all men are dogs, or whatever, you know, if I'm not saying those things and you still respond negatively, that's the issue you got to like, you're something about you that's right. processing this. And so ask yourself, why am I feeling this? And how can you navigate out of that? Uh, and so I would say that. And I would also just, say challenge what you've been taught because our parents for the most part our parents mean well but our parents pass on biases and ignorance to their kids and so he was like, oh my mom raised me to be colorblind it's like well being colorblind is not necessarily a good thing your mom meant well but in the process she you know you know she taught you things that that prevent you from looking at injustice so think about your emotions think about how, what you were taught and how you were taught uh think about like have some humility realizing that you don't share these. You don't share these experiences, and because you don't share these experiences, you should learn more. You should be slow to speak and quick to listen. And so, uh, and so, uh, I know that's taken out of scripture. I'm not proselytizing or anything, but it's like be slow to speak and quick to listen. But okay, if you if you, if I don't I don't know what it's like to be a woman. I don't know what it's like to be Asian. I don't know what it's like to be LGBTQ plus. So because of that, I like to like do more listening than talking. And sure. I encourage you to do that. I think it's I, I mean, I think that's one of the hardest things for people to to really learn and understand. Like I, I like I, it made me think of listen to res or listen to understand, not listen to respond, right. essentially. Right. Or and I, that you're right. You know, exa you know, exactly. Exactly. I just literally had a conversation about like it's not that we want to with someone. It's not like we're arguing and it's like, well, it feels like we want to both be right. And it's like, I don't necessarily think it's that we both want to be right. It's that we both are just not listening to each other. And we're just like trying, and we're just trying to shout, we're just shouting over yeah. each other. And that's why, because we're just not listening. Yeah. So like, let's take a step back and, and reevaluate this. I think those are three great things. Emotional intelligence is so important because it, you know, it, like you said, it's understanding that just because I feel something doesn't mean it's invalid, but also doesn't mean I have to uh, project that feeling onto the person that's making me feel that way or whatever it might be. And then challenging what you've been taught 
is also very important. And then also that listening component, because I think each of those three things at its core identifies like the systemic issues that we all live with, particularly in this country, but in, I would say just in the world in general right now. And by understanding even those three different points, we can start to identify the systemic issues to where it doesn't matter where you come from, what background or identities that you hold. Like, yes, we all have these different experiences, but we realize, okay, our, we have the same goal of addressing mm-hmm. and dismantling systemic inequity so that we all can find the appropriate liberation and freedom and actual equity. And, um, by doing that, you know, we, we, we can understand that we don't all have to be the same and, or think the same or believe the exact same things. Knowing our end goal is the same allows us to then work across coalition, build coalitions, work across communities, across identities to build something that's mindful to all of these different people. Because we, a lot of times, like, especially I feel like in DEI work, it comes down to black, white. Asian, Hispanic, Latina, whatever it might be. And then like now it's like, okay, there's some ability stuff in there. There's some uh, LGBTQ plus stuff in there, but it really feels like it comes down to like a racial thing. We don't talk about the intersectionality of all those things. No, no, we, we don't. don't. We aren't talking about how to be mindful of the intersectionalities of those things. And then you have somebody who is most likely carrying or in your corporation, in your organization that's, that inhabits like 12 different identities, 12 different communities. How are we making sure that we are being mindful of all, all of that one person who, who inhabits all of these different things? And it requires us to make sure that we have emotional intelligence, that we're challenging the things that we grew up learning and that we are being, uh, we are listening to understand and not listening to respond. Right. So I think it's super important. Yeah. I, I think also a good way to look at it is that like, don't think that it's so like being humble or, you know, if you're, if you're trying to be humble or trying to be woke or, or whatever, it's it's a lifelong journey. Or you're trying to be any racist. It's not like, and so so like that person that has 12 identities, we don't know which ones they have. We don't know which ones are a priority. So like, right. you take five black people, you know, uh, these those five black people, they may, they, they have their, their, their black identity may be all over. One could be number one, other one could be number five, you know, and right. so, and so, so one out of every each group is not a monolith. So all black, so all black people aren't monoliths. All women aren't monoliths. So within each yep. group, there's different levels of privilege and marginalization. And just realize that okay, on this journey to be anti-racist or inclusive or DEI, you know, it's like this is a lifelong journey, and you know, it, you're always learning. You're going to make mistakes, and just always look to improve. And it's something new, you know. And so, so thinking that you have all the answers is, is the kiss of death. So thinking that one that you don't have any biases, but also thinking that you have all the answers. Those two are the kiss of death. So I love that. Thinking you have all the answers is the kiss of death. That is amazing. I'm going to be using that a lot now. (laughs) That is incredible. Um, Paul, I really appreciate you sharing so much here. And um, I know like these, these conversations are a little bit shorter because we want to have that succinct, concise conversation about, you know, these different missing pieces. I feel like we've touched on a ton of stuff and I'm really excited to be able to share this with our audience because I feel like, I've learned so much from you and I continue to learn so much from you. And I'm excited to be able to share, share Mm -hmm. that with, with, with the people listening here or watching on YouTube. Who are you learning from right now? Uh, I learned a lot from you. I mean, you have, you have, you know, like I, I tell, I, I, I've been telling people, it's like, I appreciate when, when men can emote because men are taught not to emote, you know, like you talk about being a transracial adoptee, you talk about your trauma, you talk about, 
being Korean American and in, 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 in a white dominated society. Uh, and so, and, and just like, you're just, you're just trying to like refine yourself and you just keep at it, you know, and you just, you're unapologetic about it as well. And, uh, I learned a lot from you. And, and so like, I'm actually at some point debating on talking, tackling toxic masculinity. Cause I, I, I was a health educator for briefly. And so I, I waited for the right time and the right, my own healing first, and then talk about like men, you know, if I could, if I could be like another Fred Rogers or something, you know, sure. uh, it's, but I, I learned from you and I, I learned from Madison Butler. I mean, she's unapologetically black and queer, you know, and, and she has a huge following and she, 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 you know, she intentionally or unintentionally pushes those buttons, you know? And so, um, so yeah, I'd say that. Well, I really, really appreciate that. Um, yeah, I actually don't even know what to say. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> I didn't know you were going to say me. So, uh, Madison too, uh, incredible person. She just posted something today about, of what we need to stop centering heteronormativity during pride a hundred percent. And I was like, I read that. And I'm like, yeah, it definitely needs to happen. I'm like, I need to make sure I'm not doing that as well. Yeah. Uh, Madison is, is really incredible. And honestly, if you can support Madison, please do because she always is calling out the trolls. I don't know if it yeah. was the name and shame, but she's not afraid to, no, like you no. said, push that button yeah. and people are constantly going at her and oh, you know, uh, uh, not only do we all need support, but especially those folks who are most visible and yeah. who put themselves in those places, we should be out there supporting them and making sure that they know they're not alone as yeah, they go through this fight. There's nothing wrong. Like another colleague of mine, um, you know, like she's opened up about anti-Semitism and I, and, mm. and, you know, so I recently, uh, like Lauren Howard. Yeah. 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 yeah so like I, I emailed her and like, and I was like, Hey, you okay, sis, you know, just, just to say, cause she's a pretty transparent. She's like, thank you for, for, you know, do that. So I would encourage you out there, if you're connected with somebody and you see they're going through a rough time or they're vocal about whatever oppression, you know, don't be shy about DMing them or emailing them and say, hey, you okay, sis? You okay, bro? You okay, sibling? Whatever. Just to, I don't know, we all, we all got battles we're fighting, so we shouldn't be fighting them alone. A hundred percent. And I th- I can say that I know the last time we talked, we talked about a friend who was going through it and yeah, talking yeah, about yeah. that exact thing, yeah. reaching out and just say, Hey, are you doing okay? Yeah. Or what can I do to support you? You know, whatever that might be. So I really appreciate that about you, Paul. Um, <laughs> just again, meeting folks with empathy and just showing them compassion uh, and leading with that foot. Um, last question. How do we, how do our audience support you going forward? Yeah, I mean, I'm on LinkedIn, and so if you want to just either follow me, connect with me, or just look up so on my on my on my profile, there's a link to my site. And so if you're in, if you so, so on my site, it shows you what I do um, and services I offer. And if, and if you're interested, there's a contact form um, you can fill out, or you can just DM me directly uh, and say, "Hey, I'd like to have a conversation." So yeah, so I, all my information is on my LinkedIn site, and check me out if, you, if you're interested. Hit me up. Amazing. You heard it here first, folks. Hit up, Paul, if you want to have these conversations. I know you've just learned a lot here in this 30 minutes, um, but there's so much more to be learned, so much more to knowledge to be gained, and so many more conversations to be had. So, Paul, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day, out of the middle of the week, to sit down and have this conversation with me. It really, really means a lot. Uh, no problem. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, for folks out there listening, you can find links to some of the stuff that Paul and I talked about here in the show notes. And if you want to follow us, you can do so at Conversation Pod Piece on Instagram. If you do feel inclined to leave a rating or review on whatever podcast player you're listening to this right now, we would greatly appreciate it. And if you're interested in supporting the show in the future in any way, feel free to hop in my DMs or reach out to me on my website, patrickintheworld.me. Until next time, I'm Patrick Armstrong, and this has been Conversation Piece. Thanks, Paul. <laughs>